Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Before I preach, Jared, don't let them pick on you about your size. There are definite advantages to being big when you're on a church staff. Trust me. One of them is, is my wife uses my sport coats for bedspreads during the week. I was in seminary, southern up in Louisville. We lived in seminary village. It was a, an apartment complex owned by the seminary, and there were probably uh, two, three hundred apartments in there. And my wife had the job of being the secretary for the manager of that place. And we'd been having some vandalism at night. People had been going in, breaking in cars and that kind of thing. So they decided they needed to hire somebody to do a patrol somewhere between 10 and 12 o'clock every night at random to just kind of let people know somebody was watching. And uh, she told me about it, and I said, well, how much did it pay? And it was a pretty handsome sum for that much work. And I was up to 10, 11 o'clock studying every night, and a seminary student, poor. And I said, I'll take that job, and I got it. Well, I was in Louisville, the worst two history, or the worst two winters in the history of Louisville. That's the, when I was there, the only time in history the Ohio River ever froze all the way across in Louisville. It was cold. And every night, when it came time for me to go patrol, it was either spitting snow, sleeting, or a cold, icy rain. And I told Barbara, I said, if I'm going to do this, i got to have a rain suit. So back in those days, I'm going to date myself a little bit, that's back in 76, 77, the only place you get a rain suit was Sears and Roebuck. So we went down there, and it was those old big heavy yellow rain suits. Y'all remember the one I'm talking about? And I got one, I went in the dressing room, tried it on, walked outside, looked in the mirror, see if it looked all right, and some old boy across the store saw me and yelled, Taxi! Your size uh, betray you sometimes, but it helps you sometimes too. I don't hear much serious preaching on doctrine today. I don't hear a lot of preaching on hell. I don't hear a lot of preaching on the second coming. And there's certainly a doctrine that we have been evasive on as Southern Baptists, and that's the doctrine of judgment and rewards. So today I want to preach a message on that doctrine, the doctrine of judgment and reward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning verse 10, this subject is addressed. Look at what it says. The Bible says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation another buildeth thereon. But let every man, now pay attention to that, let every man, that's man, woman, young person, every person, take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man, 
There it is again. Any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hair, stubble. Every man's, and look at it, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. The very word judgment is very much misunderstood among our family of faith today. There seems to be little or no emphasis placed upon your and my responsibility as to how we choose to live our Christian lives. And there certainly seems to be confusion in the family of faith about judgment itself. Many people have limited themselves to think of judgment as the great white throne judgment where those who've never trusted in Jesus will be judged and cast into the lake of fire or hell. May I tell you that is a real judgment. But just as real as that judgment is, there is going to be a judgment for the believer. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And it's what this passage is making reference to. Every man, every believer will one day stand before Jesus or bow before Jesus and be judged for what he or she did for Jesus from the day they got saved until the day they bow before him in judgment. It is a biblical teaching and a biblical truth, and it is going to happen. Now, how do I know that? Well, Paul says in Romans 14, 10, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Then Jesus said in Revelation 22 and verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Now hear me, church. You are not as a whole, but as an individual, going to be judged, not whether or not you're saved. If you appear at this judgment, you will be judged based upon what you did for Jesus from the time you got saved until the time you appear before him in this judgment. This judgment is not about what's ethically good or bad. It's a judgment that is about that which is acceptable. The Bible says gold, silver, precious stones are that which is worthless, wood, hay, or stubble. It's not the Lord's purpose here to chasten his child for his sins, but to reward his child for his service and his faithfulness for those things he's done for him While he was living on earth. This judgment's not for condemnation. Hear me. This judgment's for evaluation. What did you do for Jesus? 
from the time you got saved until you meet him in judgment. It's not a judgment over whose you are. It's a judgment over who you are and what you did. It's not right over wrong or good over bad or life over death or even heaven over hell. It's a question of stewardship. Again, what did you do for Jesus from the time you got saved until you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ? The old Bible scholar B.H. Carroll used to tell the story. It was like standing at the seashore and looking out across the ocean. You see two ships approaching. The first one, every mask is broken down. The sails are ripped and she's had to throw all her cargo overboard just to stay afloat. And a harbor tug has to meet her and tow her to shore. The second ship stands tall, every mast reaching to the sky, the sails filled to capacity. She's loaded to the water's edge with cargo and she arrives to the cheers and adulation of all those on shore. That's the difference, he said, in dying Christians. Some have no reward. Others have lived faithfully and will be much and greatly rewarded. When they believed in Christ, they were justified. That never has to be done again. But a Christian's faithfulness will be judged by what he or she do for Jesus. If you're a Christian, blood-bought, blood-washed, and born again you will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. You can mark it down. That is a foundational biblical doctrine. All right, I've given you a foundation. Now I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. I'm going to step out of my character, and I'm going to give you a four instance of the judgment seat of Christ this morning. I'm going to take my coat off, not because it's hot, but because I want you to look upon me as another character for a few minutes. I'm not longer, no longer Sid Nichols. I'm just an ordinary fellow sharing a testimony about the judgment seat of Christ. A for instance, if you will. It goes something like this. Good morning. My name is Joe Jones. I'm 37 years old. I'm married. I have two boys, a dog, and I live in the city. I'm trying to live the American dream, but it's tough these days. I've got a good job, but with the economy the way it is, it's difficult at times just making ends meet. I'm in debt up to my ears, and every month it seems I'm getting further and further behind. My family are members of the Hilltop Baptist Church and tend faithfully. In fact, through the years, I've held several leadership positions in that church. Well, maybe under the cloak of honesty this morning, I need to recant and tell you that I used to be faithful. You see, I, I told you that I'm in debt up to my ears and life is tough and, 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 and I had an opportunity. My boss offered me an opportunity for a big raise and a big promotion if I could land a certain account. So several months ago, I started investing my life in that. I decided 
I'd make making a living more important than making a life. And I began to pour myself into this project. I'd get up early and go in early and work late. I stopped going to church. In fact, I can't even remember the last time I just stopped and had a prayer time or a devotional time. My wife and boys still go. And, and I got to tell you, there's a strain in the family with my wife and my boys because I'm always working. But I'm trying to get this promotion. I'm trying to land this account. And if I get it, everything's going to be much better. And it's going to be worth it. I promise you it will all be worth it once I land the promotion and the big raise. You just wait and see. Wait and see. I guess I'll never know because you see it happened today. I got up early and came into work. I had a lot to do. I'd looked at my agenda. I had meetings all morning, different matters coming, and I had looked at it. And I knew I needed to get an early start, and about 10 o'clock, I was in a meeting. My stomach began to growl like an angry lion, and I realized I didn't even take time to eat breakfast this morning. I was starving to death. I couldn't wait for the meeting to get over, so I could jump in the car and run down to the burger joint. Finally, the meeting was over. I'm on my way to get my burger, and that's when it happened. It was a sound like no sound I'd ever heard before. It sounded like a thousand trumpets all blowing at the same time. And then I heard this shout. It was a shout like nothing I'd ever heard. And then I was being caught up in the air with all these other folks. Don't ask me how I got through the roof of that car. I I don't understand it. See, I'm a Christian. I know enough Bible. I know what was happening. Jesus had come back. His church had been brought up. All of us believers were being caught up to meet him in the air. I was excited about it, but at the same time, I was fearful. You know, I knew where I was going, but I didn't have a clue what was going to happen when I got up there. So let me take a few minutes to describe it to you this morning. We're all gathered together. If you could kind of imagine every university stadium in the United States of America on a Saturday afternoon in the fall being filled with football fans. And all of a sudden, all those stadiums somehow being pushed together and brought together in one place. The ocean of humanity. That's what it looked like. There was an ocean of us there. And it was so different because everybody could understand everybody. And it seemed like we knew one another. It was a mass of humanity. There we stood. We were all amazed and all of a sudden we became speechless. Our focus was drawn to a throne in something like a a courtroom setting in the midst of that massive group of people. And sitting on that throne, you don't know, I don't have to tell you who it was, do I? It was Jesus And before Jesus was a giant book. As I said, we were speechless. We could hear clearly every word that Jesus had to say. And he said, welcome, my bride. In a short time, we'll celebrate throughout all of eternity. But first, there's some needed and uncomfortable business that has to be addressed. And he leaned forward and he opened that book. He called a name and there appeared the most majestic being I'd ever seen. Why? He must have been nine feet tall. He had a head and feet like an eagle and wings. And all of a sudden he launched into the air and began to soar over all of us. And Jesus would look in that book and he'd call a name. And that majestic being would swoop down and lift that individual and place him there before Jesus down at that judgment seat. 
It was amazing. Jesus called the name of Billy Graham. That majestic being swept down and picked him up and deposited him down there. And, and it was. Billy looked just like every time I'd ever seen him on television. It looked just like him. And I heard Jesus ask that massive crowd as he waved his hand out over all of us. He said, all you people out there who were touched by this man's life and ministry, stand up and cheer. Why, well, it looked like two-thirds of those people stood up and began to cheer. And Jesus began to clap. He said, oh, Billy, well done. Well done, thou good. And faithful service. And Jesus turned the page. He called the name of Lottie Moon. The majestic being picked a little lady up and deposited her down there. And Jesus said, oh, Lottie. Lottie, it's so good to see you. You're one of my favorites. Lottie, you sacrificed all your life to serve me there in foreign places. And Lottie, you touched the world with your life. Lottie, do you have any idea that over $1.5 billion has been raised in your name for missions so that boys and girls could come to know me? Oh, Lottie, well done. Well done. All you people who were touched by Lottie's life, stand up and cheer. And again, thousands upon thousands upon thousands stood up and began to cheer. Jesus turned the page. He called the name of Maud Clements. I knew Maud. Maud was a janitor at the place where I work. Maud never had very much. I, I didn't know much about Miss Maud. But I did know one thing about her. I know every time I ever passed her in the hall, she said, Mr. Jones, I'm praying for you today. That didn't seem like too much then, but then I got to listening to what Jesus was reading off that Maud had accomplished on earth for him. And he said, and Maud, for all those prayers you prayed for old Joe Jones, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jesus kept calling folks. I, I was getting very nervous by now because I had come to realize that I didn't have much to offer when he called my name. Oh, how I wish I had. I, I wish I'd been more interested, more committed in Christian things rather than worldly things. I could already tell that things I ignored, simple little things, counted a great deal in this judgment. Oh, how I wish I had read the Bible more. How I wish I'd prayed more. I wish I had cared for people more or done with less physically so I could have done more spiritually. I realized that all those years I had never won one single person to Christ. Not one. In fact, it looked like I was almost ashamed of my faith. I wish I'd been more faithful to church. I wish I'd not cheated God with His tithe in order for me to have more, but I wish... And then it happened. He called my name. The majestic being lifted me and deposited me there in front of Jesus, the Lord. I stood before him there at the judgment seat of Christ. I felt so empty. I felt so ashamed. I had so little to offer. There I was with nothing to show for my life with Christ. I was like the old hymn and empty-handed. It was so painful to hear Jesus say, Joe, I've looked and I've looked and I've looked, but there's nothing here except your salvation. Joe, why didn't you serve me more? Then there was this intense fire as I stood and watched the works of my worthless life go up. 
in flames. An angel walked over with her wing and brushed something off of the altar and deposited it into my hand. And I turned and walked away from the judgment seat. Not like many who had turned and walked away with crowns and be princes. But I turned and walked away a pauper with a few gold coins. Let me bring you back to the real world. The good news is, you still have time. The finale. You can finish well. I want to, don't you? I want to have something to offer the Lord when I stand before Him in judgment. He's not come back yet. I believe He could come any time. I believe the signs are here. And we're going to stand before Him. But I want to stand before Him with something to offer. I'm talking about, listen to me. I'm talking about the judgment seat of Christ here. This is the King of Kings. He is the Judge of Judges. This is the tribunal of all tribunals. There are no appeals. This is the final judgment. Leonard Ravenhill once said, It would do all of us good when we go to bed at night. To ask God what he put in his book today. <clears throat> That's an indicting statement. You see, we're not going to be judged just because of what we did or have done. We're going to be judged on why we did it. We have a choice to make. As believers, we can either let God rule our life or we can continue to choose to rule it ourselves. R.A. Torrey once said, My God, look at all the riches there were in Jesus Christ, and I came to the judgment seat almost a pauper. You say, well, Brother Sid, why is there a judgment? Why, why is there a judgment seat? It seems to me that it, it's just enough to be saved. I had a fellow tell me one time, he said, Preacher, it, it don't matter. as long If I get into heaven by the skin of my teeth, that's good enough for me. That's not good enough for God, folks. God didn't save you to sit and wait on going to heaven. God saved you to serve him. He wants you to count. He wants you to be of value to his kingdom. It's a sad day for us today because we live in a culture age where true believers have this mistaken view of God's grace. There are just so many who I'd say most Christians today believe that there's some kind of fact that if I'm saved, that's all that matters. Well, it's not. God saves us to serve him. Paul said, listen to this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. You see, the doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ reminds us that we're to be living a life that counts for God. Our lives ought not be aimless. They ought to be aimed. Our lives ought not be purposeless. They ought to be purpose-driven. Our lives shouldn't be passive. They ought to be productive. Our lives ought not be fruitless. They ought to be fruitful. We ought not be satisfied just living in Christ. Folks, we need to get fired up and start living for Christ. We need to be committed to living for Christ. 
I'm going to take a sidebar and preach. And well, I hope preachers wake up and start preaching. I, they tell us the political correct crowd tells us we ought not be preaching about this stuff. I'm telling you, folks, you better pay attention to what's fixing to happen in America. If you're a Christian, now listen to me. If you're a Christian, you better pay attention not so much to who's running for president, but who's going to put your next Supreme Court justices in place. We already have transgender bathrooms. We have same-sex marriage. We can just go down, down, down the line where everything this book talks about is just being thrown in the garbage can for the beliefs of some liberal, lost, hell-bound people. And the reason they're doing it is because Christians like you and me have not gotten up and had enough backbone to find out who ought to vote, who we ought to vote for, and vote for them. And I'm telling you, you better get in the Word of God, you better get in your prayer closet, you better make a commitment, you better go to that poll, you better vote, you better pay attention to what's going to happen in this country. Not for you and me so much, but you better think about your kids and your grandkids. And people don't like that. And there's people out there that have me put in jail for preaching like that. But I'm telling you, it's time we wake up. I read this week, Pam reminded me of it yesterday. I read this week, it's time for the church to stop being an audience and become an army. We're going to answer to God for this. We've sat by and let it happen and we're going to answer for that. But it's not too late for us to stand up and make a difference. We better get activated and motivated. Better stop voting for a ticket and start voting for somebody that's got some kind of conviction about what God's interested in instead of what the world's interested in. Well, I'll say amen to that if you want. We are to fear God. We're going to be judged for what we do for Jesus. We ought to be afraid of standing before the judgment seat of Christ with little or nothing to offer. A few years ago, I nearly died. You prayed for me. And God brought me through it. I had a, I had a condition. I have a, a condition in my mouth had for years. It's called lichen planus. There's no cure for it. The doctors say it won't kill you, but they don't know what causes it, what to do for it. It's a constant breaking out of your mouth. It gets very sore and blisters up and it happens. And, uh, we didn't know what to do about it. And John Thomas, my associate, that association read an article that vitamin D helped it. Large doses of vitamin D would help it. Well, I didn't have enough sense to believe vitamins were safe. And you listen to me, I'm not telling you, if your doctor's got you on vitamin D, you stay with it. But you do it under his guidance and you take exactly what he tells you. Because what I discovered is taking too many large doses... Vitamin D is one of four vitamins that builds up in your body. It does not slough out. And when you get to a certain point, your body will uh, react to it and shut down and you go in congestive heart failure and die. And boy, I got that close. I spent two weeks in the hospital here. They couldn't, nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And I'm dying. And the doctor came in on a Friday afternoon, and we'll forget it. She said, we've done everything we know to do. We've run every test we know how to run. We cannot discover. We do not know what's wrong with you. I had discovered it. I'd read it on the Internet. I, I read it. I showed it to him. I showed exactly what I was going through and that it was called a vitamin D toxicity. And they wouldn't agree with it. She says, we can't do anything else here. We've talked to UAB. They're a research hospital. They're interested in your case. We need you to go over there. So we did. 
you know, I, I went over there and there I was and in this situation where for the first time in my life, nobody knew what was going on with me. And I thought, man, I'm going to die. I thought I'm going to die. Well, I got that bad off. Sent a little intern over there that night, first night he came in and he asked me what was wrong. I told him what I thought was wrong. He made notes about it. Next day, the teaching doctor came in and all these people were with him. All these students in these white coats and he said, what, what do you think's wrong? I said, I got a vitamin D toxicity. He looked at my chart and he said, Mr. Nichols, I got good news for you. You got a vitamin D toxicity. And, and he said, he said, the truth is, he said, you ought to be dead. Looking at what you're taking, you should be dead. He said, but you're not. And he said, we may not save you yet, but we hope we can. And so they started the process. And I, I was sick. I was sick, 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 sick. I was sick as I ever been. And I really had gotten to a, a bad place in life. I had gotten to a place where Barbara had died. My mama had died. Oh, no, this was Barbara was still alive then. She was in the hospital when I was in the hospital. And, 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 uh, I'm dealing with all this stuff and I thought, I'm gonna die. And I, I pretty much had reconciled myself to that. I never will forget, I was sitting in a chair over in a corner. And I was having me a real pity party. A real pity party. I mean, it was awful. I had one foot in the grave and I'd reconciled I'm gonna die. There was a knock on my door. She came in, and uh, interesting lady, she was the maid. And you could look at her and tell she was one of those very special, blessed people that was just doing the best with what God had gifted her to do. And she said, Mr. Nichols, may I clean your room? And I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, she starts cleaning the room. She starts singing praise courses. Made me mad. I'm sitting over there trying to die. <laughs> and she's over there praising Jesus. And she was so sweet. Mr. Nichols, do you need a drink of water? No, honey. Oh, I'm trying to die. Just a little. <laughs> she sang on. Mr. Nichols, can I get you a blanket? No, no sugar. Uh-uh. No, no. No, I just, just let me alone. I'm going to die and I'll be, I'll be out of your hair in a little while. Let me alone, you know. Just kept on, Mr. Nichols, is there anything I can, no, honey. Well, she got through and she gathered up all those bedclothes and she walked out of the room. And I'm over there still trying to die. Come in, it was her again. And she came over and she got right in front of me and she looked at me and she started to cry. He said, Mr. Nichols. I just want to thank you. I said, honey, what are you thanking me for? I was rude to you. I'm trying to die. I'm sick. I... Why? Oh, Mr. Nichols, I just want to thank you for the privilege of cleaning your room today. And by the way, Jesus loves you. And I love you too. And she turned and walked out of the room. And it was as though God reached down and grabbed me by the nap of the neck and pulled me up and said, Did you see that? Did you see that? 
Is she the prettiest girl in the world? No, sir. Richest? No, sir. Smartest? No, sir. Happiest? Maybe. Because she knows what she can do for me, and she does it. And here you are. I've educated you. I've sent you to seminary. I've given you experience. I give you the word. And I've called you to preach. And you're sitting here trying to die. Now get up and go to work. And I got up. Here's what I know about all of that. One day. Somewhere. I'm going to be in a crowd of people. Big crowd of people somewhere. And down in the middle of that crowd is going to be a judgment seat. And Jesus is going to be sitting down there and he's going to open that book. And he's going to call a name. And I'm going to look and that majestic being is going to swoop down. He's going to pick that little cleaning lady up. And he's going to take her down there and set her down in front of Jesus. And Jesus is going to say... All you people out there who were touched by this girl's life, stand up and cheer. I don't know whether anybody else will stand up, but I know one fat preacher is going to stand up and say, Yes! Yes, Lord! When I was at my lowest point, you sent her by and picked me up and put me back on the path I needed to be on. That's gold, silver, and precious stones. Her life's going to count. Because she counted with her life. Let me ask you this today. If for some reason, this afternoon were the day, the trump blows, the shout sounds, and we're caught up in the air and we gather together, and all of a sudden Jesus calls your name and you're standing before him. When it's all over, will you turn and walk away a prince with crowns? Or a pauper? With just a few gold coins. It's not too late. It's not. You've got the rest of your life. To do something for Jesus. And if people like you and me. Don't start doing something for Jesus. This country. Is sunk. can't say amen go like this you know what i'm saying it's time we wake up folks we need revival in the land and they start right here right now in our hearts heads bowed and eyes closed i'm not going to embarrass you I wouldn't come to you i won't call you out but I believe with all my heart in church this size, there's somebody every time I preach that never has been saved. And this morning, there's two, three, four, five folks here never been saved. And you know it. You know if the judgment seat were today, you'd go straight to hell. You wouldn't even stand before Jesus in judgment. And you need to get it right. And you want to get it right. Here's what I want you to do. If you're here this morning, you need Jesus. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call you. I just want to pray for you. And here's what I want you to do. If you need Jesus this morning, you want to be saved, raise your hand. Just hold it up and let me pray for you. Anybody? All over the room. Hold it up high so I can see. Anybody? Thank you. Anybody else? Hold it up high. This is your time. All right. 
If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus and you want to, here's what you need to do. Right where you are, you need to pray and ask him to save you. I'll say that prayer silently. You say it after me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me. This morning, Jesus, nothing would suit me better than to be saved. So I want you to know, Lord, I'm sorry my sins. I repent of them. Ask you, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, with our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, if you're in here this morning and as best you know how, you just honestly prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus to save you. I want to ask you, would you just raise your hand and look at me? If you honestly prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand and look at me? Anybody, anywhere. Did you pray that prayer? Thank you. Somebody else? Anybody else? If you prayed that prayer this morning. Okay, here's what I want you to do. If you raised your hand and looked at me, when we stand to our feet and start singing, man, I want you to come down here where I am. Because I want the world to know. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll confess me before me. And the way we do that is we just... Come before the church. And I want you to come. Maybe if you're nervous, you can ask somebody next to you to come. Or I'll meet you here. I promise you. We'll be happy. Won't we celebrate church? We'll be happy, won't we? They come forward this morning. We'll be happy. Maybe this morning God's touched your heart about being a lukewarm Christian. You're not ready to meet him in judgment. You need to do something about it. You may not need to talk to me. You may need to talk to him. The altar will be open. Maybe you need to move a church letter. Whatever it is, let the Holy Spirit lead. Father, this is your time. I pray in these next moments you'll move in power and might and people will respond to what you're calling them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. We're going to sing.